Let's start with the story. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 7, 36 and through 39. One of the Pharisees, now Pharisee is a religious leader, okay? So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man, speaking about Jesus, were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, such a sinner. So Jesus is invited to the home of a religious leader. We'll soon learn his name. It's Simon. Simon hosts the dinner, invites Jesus to come, and a woman shows up uninvited. Two people could hardly be more different. As Simon was looked up to, she was looked down on. He was a church leader. She aren't told, we aren't told exactly what she did. It seems like she was a engaged in some improper activity. He's hosting a party and she's crashing the party. Were you to ask the citizens of Capernaum where this meal was taking place, of the two people, which is the more pious? Which one do you think they would pick? The woman or or Simon? Simon, he's the member of the clergy, he's a student of theology, he's a man of the cloth. Any person would pick him, anyone that is, except Jesus. Jesus knew them both, and Jesus picked the woman. And he tells Simon why. Now, not that Simon wanted to know, he doesn't seem real teachable. His mind is complaining. He has these negative thoughts. How did this woman get in my house? He doesn't know who to yell at first, the servant who let her in or the woman herself. This is supposed to be a time for him to look good by having this popular teacher and somebody let the riffraff in and look at her, groveling at Jesus' feet, kissing Jesus' feet, anointing Jesus' feet. And if he was who he says he was, he wouldn't let her do that. So all these thoughts are spinning around in his head. One of the lessons Simon learned that day was this. Don't think thoughts if you don't want Jesus to hear. Jesus heard his thoughts. And when he heard what Simon was thinking, he decided to share a few thoughts of his own. Back to the Gospel of Luke. Simon... He said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. 
Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins and they are many, have been forgiven. For she has shown me much love. Look at this. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. For some reason, Simon was inhospitable to Jesus. Even though he invited Jesus over for dinner, He offered no customary courtesies, no oil for the head, no kiss of greeting, no washing of his feet. Or in modern terms, he didn't shake Jesus' hand or say, welcome to my house or walking to a seat. Simon does nothing to make Jesus feel welcome. The woman, however, does everything Simon did not. We don't know much about this woman, do we? We don't know her name. We assume that she was involved in maybe some improper activities. Maybe she even made a living with these improper activities. But that's just an assumption. We're not told. We are told that she was a sinner, an immoral woman. I imagine the people did not have a high opinion of her But people's opinions did not keep her from coming. It's not for them she has come, it's for him. And her every move is measured and meaningful. Each gesture is extravagant. She puts her cheek to his feet, even though they're still dusty from the path. She doesn't have any water, but she has tears. And those tears splash on his feet. And she doesn't have a towel, but she has hair. In my imagination, she removes a pen and the hair falls. And she takes that long flowing hair and begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. At a certain point, she opens a vial of perfume, expensive perfume it's called. Might be her only possession of worth. And she pours it out on his feet. Don't you know that aroma went throughout the house? The irony here is worth worth noting. The teacher of the law, the religious person, expresses no love. This person who has violated the law expresses much love. How do we explain the difference? Simon has more training, we assume more education, probably more money. But there is one area in which 
this woman has an advanced degree and Simon is still in elementary school. And that is the love of God. She has allowed the love of God to change her. Again, oh, we so wish we knew more details. I'm just like you. I'm curious. When did, when did she discover the love of God? When did she receive the forgiveness of Christ? Was she, was she listening to Jesus teach? Was she there the, the morning that Jesus forgave the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery? Was she present when Jesus would reach out and touch the ulcerated open sores of the lepers? Did she think, oh, if he can love the cast outs of society, that means that he loves someone like me. We do not know when it happened, but the great discovery of her life was she was handed a goblet of grace. And when Jesus gave her this goblet of grace, she lifted it up and she drank every last drop. She was forgiven much. Simon, on the other hand, apparently didn't think he even needed forgiveness. He didn't request mercy. He didn't know he needed the love of God. So while she drinks up, he gets puffed up. He gets the big head. While she has ample love to give, he has no love to offer. And Jesus draws a causal connection here. If you have received much forgiveness, then you'll be able to love. I love that this verse is Luke 7.47 because it's like a jumbo jet. The 747 principle, look at it again. These are Jesus speaking. A person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Can you read that verse out loud with me, please? A person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So if a person has trouble loving others, might it be that that person has not allowed God to forgive them. And where there is great forgiveness, where a person is aware of the Niagara of grace under which they stand day in and day out, that turns a person into a person who can love others. I wonder if we're missing a step when it comes to love. Yes, over the next few weeks, we'll talk about the different characteristics, the nature of love. Love is kind. Love is forgiving. Love is patient. But rather than say, I'm going to go love people who are hard to love, that might be step two. Step one is, I'm going to allow God to love me. I'm going to allow God to forgive me. I'm going to allow God to forgive everything I've ever done. And then we discover that the one who is forgiven much is able to love much. Could it be that the first step toward loving is receiving? Receiving the love of God. This is what scripture says over and over, 1 John 4 and verse 19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. 
See the sequence? We let him love us. We trust that love. We abide in that love. And then we're able to love people who might even be hard to love. So do you long to be more loving? Well, accept your place as a dearly beloved child of God. Paul said elsewhere in Ephesians 5, follow God's example then as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If you find it hard to love, then allow God to love you first. Do you find it hard to forgive? Well, then ponder the forgiveness that's come into your life. Again in Ephesians, this time chapter four, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Again, you see the sequence? You want to be more forgiving? Well, allow yourself to be forgiven. Do you want to be more loving? Well, allow yourself to be loved. Do you want to be more sacrificial? Well, consider how sacrificial Christ was to you in the book of Philippians. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He gave that up. And as you understand what Christ gave up for you, you'll find it possible to give up more for others. Do you need more patience? Well, just think about how patient God has been with you. Do you need more generosity? Well, consider how God has been generous with you. Do you have some neighbors or relatives who are cranky and hard to get along with? Well, God puts up with you when you're cranky and hard to get along with. In fact, Jesus said that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's us. And since he has been so kind to us, we then have the ability to give that love to others. I do not believe we have within us a distillery of love that we can turn on. I believe that the love that God wants us to give begins with him. And when he moves into our heart, he brings that 747, that jumbo jet full of love with him. You see, our hearts are deceitful. The scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. You want to know why you have a hard time loving others, how people can be so cruel to one another? It's because our hearts, apart from God, can be cruel, can be mean. I wonder if we preachers have been guilty of, of skipping this first step. We tend to enjoy saying, now go out and love your neighbor. Or go out and be kind to your neighbor without reminding you, go out and let God love you. Go out and let God be kind to you. Would you do that? Maybe right now. Just right now. Just inhale, receive the love of God. And as you begin receiving and saturating yourself in the love of God, you'll find it possible to give that love to others. It's not that Simon couldn't receive it. It's just that he chose not to receive it. And the consequence was his heart was hard. But the woman who needed grace received grace, and the consequence was she had overflowing love. 
Maybe you've done what I've done a time or two. You forget to make a deposit in the bank and you, and you write a check and there's no funds. And the check is no good if there's no deposit in the bank. As you try to write checks of love toward your loved ones, toward your family, toward your friends, are you making deposits? Are you receiving the love of God? Are you pondering, accepting Removing the deflector shield, no more do you see yourself as the exception to the rule. You're going to be accepted by God. And as that love comes into your life, it changes the way you treat others. Another verse or two, this time from 1 John chapter 4. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's this huge deposit, this 747 full full, uh, cargo plane full of love that's deposited into your life. Having received that, then it's possible for you to write a check on that love and love people who may not be easy to love. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Again, the sequence matters. We receive the love of God. We trust the love of God. And then as we grow in that love, we're able to love others. That's why the Apostle Paul said, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous Love. Let your roots go down deep so that the nutrients of the soil can create fruit of love. I've got a, another way of looking at this. It's a good thing my wife is traveling today because she would laugh were I to suggest I know how to clean a kitchen. But I do know enough about a sponge to say this sponge right now would do you no good. Why? Because it's dry. Not only dry, it's hard. Not only hard, it's crusty. So if you need to wipe down this table, you're not gonna do much with a hard, dry, crusty sponge, correct? What do you have to do to get this sponge in a state where it can help you? What do you have to do? This isn't a trick question. Yeah. Yeah, all you, what you do is you take a tiny, tiny drop and it's good to go, right? No. Oh, oh, okay. You take it and you dip the corner of it just a little bit. Now it's ready to go, right? No. What do you do? You baptize that baby. You chew it down there. (laughs) You saturate it with water. You let it get soaked. You let that water, that moisture seep into every possible part of that sponge. And once it is saturated with water, then it's ready to work. In fact, you squeeze it and water comes out. Is your heart more like a dry, crusty sponge? or a saturated, soaked sponge. 
If God's love is water, how wet are you? Who knows why we don't receive the love of God? Maybe we doubt it. Or maybe down deep we know who we are and we think, I don't love me, so how could God love me? We have a variety of reasons we resist, but what I'm saying to you today is that if you would lower that resistance, if you would take that deflector shield and put it to the side, if you would interrupt those thoughts that go like, well, maybe God loves her, but he could never, if you just stop that and surrender yourself to this possibility that God is crazy about you. And he knows you more than you know you, and he loves you. He's already seen not just what you've done, he's seen the mistakes you're going to make, and he still loves you. What if you made the primary task of each day a simple, yes, Lord, I receive your love. You know what will happen? If you let God forgive you much, then according to Luke 7, 47, you will love much. But if you only allow God to forgive a little, you keep him at arm's length, you you deny that you need grace, whatever the reason, as long as you keep him at arm's length, then your heart gets hard and crusty. But the one who is forgiven much will love much. Over the next few weeks as we talk about this love, we just don't want to make the mistake of thinking this is a love that we can conjure up on our own. But it's a love that we first receive and then we give. And then we can fulfill a command like this one from 1 John chapter 3. This is what God commands, that we love each other. It's not always easy. We've got broken hearts in this room. The vows have been forgotten. Money grubbers have come your way. Backstabbers have crossed your path. How in the world are we supposed to love? How could we possibly love some of the people who have been unloving to us? Well, I think by following the 747 principle, receive first, love second. So over the next few weeks, as we begin unpacking the most famous paragraph in the Bible regarding love, don't go quickly to give until you have paused to receive. Here's the paragraph I'm talking about. This is where we'll be for the next few weeks. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking and it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Many years ago, a Bible class I was participating in, the teacher said, all right, everybody take the 
word love out and put your name in and see how far you get. I tried. Max is patient. Max is kind. Max does not envy. Max does not. I was lying the first phrase. We cannot do this by ourselves. But look what happens. He said, next, instead of putting your name where love is, put the name of Jesus and see if it feels right. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. Jesus is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. That one works, doesn't it? And this scripture reminds us of the greatest love in the universe, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. Now, what happens when you say yes to Jesus is Jesus says yes to you. And the Jesus we just described moves into your heart. And little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, you find yourself able to love people who are very, very hard to love. Maybe all your life you've been stingy, but then you feel these stirrings of generosity. Maybe much of your life you've battled racism, but as Jesus moves in, you find yourself loving and caring and extending a hand of friendship and fellowship. Maybe for much of your life, you've been the most impatient person that you can't imagine anybody who battles impatience more than you do. Yet when you say yes to Jesus, here comes the one who created patience and he moves in. Yes, I'm talking about a supernatural visitation of God by the Holy Spirit, not 10 steps toward patience or three tricks to be more kind. No, this is a, this is a gift of the presence of God in your heart. He who is forgiven little loves little, but the one who allows God to forgive much loves So as we move into this series, would you please be a good receiver? Would you open your heart? Would you place yourself in God's love like a sponge in water? Would you embrace the promise of Luke 7, 47? You can love much as you allow God to forgive much. Just live in the light of his love and you'll find yourself loving others. Lord, please help us to do this. You'd think it would be easy. I think the devil comes in anytime we talk about your love for us and tries to convince us that we're an exception to the rule. So we stand against him today. And we're so excited, Lord, because we know that we're going to grow in love. And we're going to be a better husband, better wife, better mother, better child, better coworker, better neighbor, better friend. All because of you in our hearts. Through Jesus we pray, amen.